everybody welcome back to another episode of the music biz weekly podcast i'm one of your two co-hosts michael branville and of course i'm sitting here with jay gilbert how you doing jay i'm good commissioner how are you commissioner yeah. <laughs> i just we're, we're we're joking because i just was appointed uh on the park and recs park and Rex. so awesome dude we've all watched that show sure um parks and recs commission in sausalito where i'm living and uh the first meeting was last night and they introduced me as commissioner Branvold. And I, was, I love it man i'm like i love it yeah you, everybody call me commissioner now i am that's a commissioner right. <laughs> <laughs> that's great man um anyway before we get into uh this week i serious absolutely fascinating discussion about yeah. publishing yeah uh quick shout out thank you bruce and hypebot for everything you do to continue to share and spread the word for the music biz weekly podcast and of course bands in town for doing the same and thank you to bandzoogle.com built by musicians for musicians bandzoogle is an all-in-one platform that makes it easy to build a beautiful website and epk for your music Banzoogle powers the websites for tens of thousands of musicians around the world, from weekend warriors to Grammy winners. All the features you need for a professional website are already built in, including hosting and a custom domain name, dozens of fully customizable design templates, tools to sell your music and merch commission-free, commission-free crowdfunding and fan subscriptions mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters, social media integrations, and of course, amazing live tech support from their musician-friendly team seven days a week. So head over to bandzoogle.com, sign up, try it for free for 30 days. And when you sign up, use the promo code MUSICBIZWEEKLY and you will get 15% off the first year of any subscription. And of course, discmakers.com. We know it's a digital world, but there's still an important role for physical media for today's independent musician. Digital royalty payments are so small that selling products like CD, vinyl, t-shirts online and at gigs has become such an important income generator. For every CD you sell at a gig, you might need roughly 3,000 streams to make the same amount of money. And that's a lot of streams. It's mm -hmm. a lot of work to get those streams. Yep. Our friends at Disc Makers are the place to go for your discs and other physical media, including vinyl, USB drives, and even T-shirts. So head over to discmakers.com, place an order for 100 or more CDs. And when you check out, use the promo code FREEBIZ. And you'll save up to $150 in shipping costs. Jay, this week's guest. One of the best. One of the best we've had. And an incredible, easy to digest discussion about publishing and all the aspects related to publishing. Yeah. So important that you know about this. And Mark lays it out in a very concise, understandable way. And it's such an important discussion. Yeah, I, I would reiterate, if you're new to the business, if you don't understand publishing, if you're afraid of publishing, give this a listen. Check it out for the next 45 minutes or so. Trust me, you're not going to walk away going, I 
don't understand this. You will 100%. walk away going, I have a much better understanding of the Absolutely. world and all of the pieces and why DSPs are paying what they're paying for publishing right now. There's a lot of antiquated history that we kind of get That's into. right. So let it roll. Build a stunning band website in minutes with Bandzoogle. Go to bandzoogle.com to start your free 30-day trial and use the promo code MUSICBIZWEEKLY to get 15% off the first year of any subscription. Today we're joined by Mark Caruso. Since 2019, he's been the CEO, co-founder of Angry Mob Music, an independent music publishing company. He's vice president of the LA chapter of the Association of Independent Music Publishers. And prior to Angry Mob, He's actually a composer, producer, Emmy-nominated music editor. But what I'm most impressed about, Mark, is that you play synths in an 80s covers band. I saw and that. And in your bio, it said that you can debone a whole chicken in under a minute. That is impressive. All true. <laughs> can, you, can, you, can you debone the chicken while playing the synth? Um, I admit Ooh. I cannot walk and chew gum in that format. Okay. So <laughs> I will make one correction. Uh, Angry Mob, I co-founded that in 2009. So it's been, oh, we just okay. celebrated our 11th. Congratulations. Uh, That's year. awesome. Thank you. So, Thank you. so real quick, Mark, where did the name Angry Mob come from? I feel like there's a story behind that. There is. When we started in 2009, we were very, uh, and we still are this way, but we are very sync focused. So placing songs into television and film. And the idea about Angry Mob was that we were fighting for visibility, for recognition, uh, for independent emerging artists, because we were a new company at that time. And so the artists that we were working with were also at the start of, of their careers. And so, but over 11 years now, it had transitioned to fighting for the value of music. And that is really what our fight is. And we always make the joke, you know, we are not adversaries with our songwriters. Our fight is not with you. Our fight is for you. And so that is the root of the, of the, uh, of the name. You know, we want to protect and, uh, you know, music is so important to us. We are passionate about it. All of us yeah. are. And so yeah. we want to make sure that that value is, is, uh, is front and center. So publishing is one of those areas that either you get it or you don't. And it's kind of a mystery to a lot of the artists and managers and even label staffers that I talk to. Can we just kind of pull back a little bit and explain to our viewers what is publishing and why should they care? Sure. So I always, it's, it's very funny. Every time I'm at a non-industry event and I meet somebody and, you know, they, they ask, we, the small talk is always, what do you do? And mm -hmm. I say, you know, I run a, a music publishing company and they're like, oh, you print sheet music. Right. And, right, you're a publisher, like a book publisher. And I oh, said, I get it. well, that would have been true. 100 years ago, which is where the name was actually from. It was printing sheet music and it was the rolls on a player piano mm -hmm. uh, for anybody that knows what those are. And um, so publishing is the copyright of the composition of the song. So if I'm a songwriter and I'm in my, in my bedroom with, with my guitar and I write a song, 
that song itself is publishing, right? So that is the copyright. Now I go and record that song. That recording is a separate copyright. And that recording is traditionally what, what you think of, of, of an artist and a record label. So the publisher represents the song. It's not the recording. So that gotcha. at its very core is what publishing is. And um, so for our company, for Angry Mob Music, in the same way that a record label signs artists, we sign songwriters. So in, in, so, a, in, in a real basic sense, the difference between those two would be the recorded music, you're, you're, you're in the simplest terms, you're only getting paid if that recorded music itself is used by someone for some purpose. Correct. And, Correct. and, and the publishing you represent of, of the composition is any time that composition is used anywhere in any form, you're getting paid for it. That's correct. You know, a great example to kind of differentiate the, the, the two, and maybe I date myself a little bit with this example. So Dolly Parton wrote, I will always love you. Mm -hmm. It was on her initial album, but that's not the famous recording that everybody knows. It's the Whitney right. Houston from the recording, yeah. right? So when Whitney Houston's record was being sold and played, Dolly Parton was earning money as the songwriter of that song. That's publishing. Yeah. And so that's separate from, from the recording. And, and there can be many recordings of yes, the same many, song. Many right. covers. And, 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 and in a sense, we've always joked about it, but that is the dream for an artist to have that sort of mailbox money where you just wrote a song once and you've never had to lift a finger ever again and somebody else is doing the work and earning you money. And usually what that also means is that other artists will cover that same song over and over or independent artists will cover yeah. that same because it's a recognizable song at, yeah. at that point. I you know, read that, somewhere that's that, the lightning uh, in the bottle that uh, Paul McCartney's Yesterday was one of the most covered tunes in, in music history. And it kind of begs the question, how does the money flow? Who pays the publishers and and how does that deal work? Who collects with, the money? Yeah, who collects the who money and how is it paid out? And how do you make money as well as the songwriter make money? Well, generally in publishing, there are three main forms of income types. It's, uh, it's called mechanical royalties, which are, it's, ca it's called mechanical because I talked about the, the player piano at the start. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so the idea that, that a composition is affixed to something. I mean, in those days, it was the scroll on the piano. Later on, it was vinyl records, then CDs, anything tangible, and then became permanent digital downloads later on, the iTunes era. Yeah. Um, there's performance income. So anytime a song is performed for a public audience, so that can be on the radio, whether it's satellite or terrestrial, in a television show, it can be in a live performance. Anytime there's an audience hearing a composition, that's performance. Then the last one is, I mentioned television. If a production or a film wants to use 
a song, they have to secure a license, not just for the composition, but for the recording of that composition also. So there's a, what's called a sync fee. So those are the three main types. So on the mechanical gotcha. side, a record label, if it was a physical product, used to pay the, the publishers. These days, obviously with streaming, the uh, DSPs, Spotify, Pandora, yep. and so forth, yep. they, they pay in to, um, directly to the, to, to the publishers. And there's a collective now that started this year that I didn't get into yeah. that is collecting on behalf of the publishers. Is that the MLC? But that's the MLC. Yeah, so we, we had them on and, and, and talked a little bit about that, but go ahead. Yeah, no, so they are issuing licenses to the DSPs to collect that, uh, that mechanical income. On the performance side, um, you may have heard about ASCAP and BMI and CSAC. These are collection societies that a writer and a publisher belongs to. And the society will issue a license to a broadcaster, whether it's television or, or, or radio, or if you've been, well, pre-COVID in a bar or a restaurant where you get to see the little stickers that say ask at BMI, mm -hmm. that's general licensing. So any venue that plays, any venue or broadcaster that plays music has these licenses and that money flows in uh, to the society that then pays out to the publisher. Mm -hmm. And then the last one, the Sync. synchronization is directly a one-to-one -one relationship between a publisher and uh, production, television, film, uh, and how do you, game. how do you negotiate those rates or do you negotiate rates? Which ones of these are kind of statutory or kind of set rates and which ones are negotiated? The only free market of the three is sync is the is TV and film. That's the only one where it is a free, a, uh, willing buyer, willing seller, free market negotiation about what you want to charge somebody to use for your music. It could be a few thousand dollars. It could be a few million dollars, right? It just sure. depending a on recognizable what the song, is. you know, for a national advertising campaign, maybe six figures. If it is an independent artist in a regional <laughs> ad, it might be three figures or four figures. Um, so that's free market at least. Then on the performance side, that's the, the money collected by ASCAP and BMI and, and mm -hmm. CSAC. GMR is the, is the fourth smaller uh, society. Yep. Um, they are, ASCAP and BMI in the 1940s were deemed monopolies by the radio broadcasters. And they went to, to the government in an antitrust suit and the result of that was that there were consent decrees, which dictated um, the rules about how performance is paid and, and, and licensed. And so all consent decrees, almost all of them have been sunsetted over a period of time, but ASCAP and BMI's consent decrees have not. So we, it's been 70 plus years now living under these consent decrees. So there is not a free market negotiation there between um, the society and the, the uh, broadcasters or the uh, yeah. music users. And then on the mechanical side, it's in the copyright law, uh, it's decided by a, 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 a royalty board. 
you will, that decides what is the mechanical rate that is going to be paid. When it was physical, it was what was called a, a penny rate, where it was uh, initially two cents, it got up to nine cents, still long lagging behind inflation, but it was, uh, it's still currently 9.1 cents per composition per uh, song. I mean, so, sorry, per uh, product, right? So yeah. for every, CD sold, every download uh, is 9.1 cents divided among each of the writers. In the DSP world, there's a, a complicated formula about the greater of either the percentage of revenue paid to the labels or the percentage of, um, of uh, gross subscription revenue. I mean, there's, there's a, like a tiered system and so depending, that's why as publishers, we want the most amount of subscribers in a DSP because that grows the subscription pool. That is the pool of money, the, the greater pool of money that is shared among the uh, writers and the publishers. So, so I know I kind of so, got in the weeds there a little no, bit. No, 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 really, <laughs> really, really great. Really helpful. So, you know, we, we, we hear this week after week, year after year. Of, of an artist, a songwriter complaining that, you know, hey, I got my check from Spotify and it's 42 cents. Screw these people. Um, does, I, I, you know, I guess I'm trying to figure out the simplest way to ask this. Did Spotify have, and I shouldn't single out Spotify because it's all DSPs. Sure. So do all DSPs have the ability to, negotiate a different rate so they can be friendlier to the songwriters to the artists or are they beholden to what was given to them in in a decree basically saying this is what you're following it's a good question because technically there's supposed to be an initial negotiation between the publishers and the dsp and if they can't reach an agreement then it gets kicked to a rate court actually on the uh, performance side. So the ASCAP and VMI goes to a rate court where there is a judge that sets what this rate is. There's never been a deal that's been made that has not gone to the rate court, right? So um, can the DSPs negotiate a higher rate? They could, but when you are a public company that is beholden to your shareholders and providing the best shareholder value, you're doing a disservice to your shareholders if you're um, paying a higher royalty rate. And so when we, when we go to court over these rates, they talk about, they being the uh, DSPs talk about, well, we're paying this amount of money to the labels already who negotiated their deals in a free market, by the way. And this is the amount of money that we're paying, you know, out of each sub subscriber fee to the publishers. And this is what's left. And so how are we going to pay more to the publishers if we have to provide this to our, our shareholders or to be able to run our, 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 our operation? So there's a conflict of interest in saying that a DSP wants to be more publisher friendly in what they pay us because- now, you know, we're, we're not their priority. Uh, not to put you on the spot, but do you think there is some form of a, a better solution out there? 
to to get more money out of DSPs for for publishers? You know, is there well, a the solution which structure? is is there a different subscription model? You know, uh, we 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 we've heard people talk about what it is where they want to get more money just for the song through their record label, but that's a whole different deal structure than yours. Is it sure? You know, as a publisher, would you sit here and go, "Well, here's how I'd like to see the DSPs set a deal." Um, in its simplest terms, the ideal would be that all three of the of the uh, royalty categories I talked about are free market negotiations, right? That means for an industry that is based on creators, we are regulated like more than utilities. Mm-hmm. or other industries, uh, airlines, you know, I mean, this is a individual creator driven industry and we don't have the ability to negotiate fair deals on behalf of our own creators because of government regulation. Now, right. the way that it sits right, right now, so the way it sits right now, like the Beatles are worth the same as a developing artist that you've never heard of, right? In, in terms of, of three. Uh, payments from mechanical and performance, absolutely correct. Are those regulations left over from the early days of the music business, where those regulations might have made sense and worked when it was? sheet music, roll music, but as we've seen, you've evolved to eight tracks and cassettes and vinyl and CDs and digital and, you know, digital downloads and streaming. Are, are these antiquated regulations that need to be removed and redone for a new and modern business? You said it, antiquated, right? Um, the consent decrees in the 1940s claimed that ASCAP and BMI were monopolies. And perhaps they, they were in the 1940s. Who is reaping the benefit of the consent decrees? Google, Amazon. You're telling me those aren't, monopul- aren't monopolies in their industries? Right? So, yes. I mean... In a perfect world, the consent decrees get sunsetted. There was just a review of this um, under the last presidential administration in the DOJ, which, who, who is in the Department of Justice, who um, heads up the antitrust uh, division concerning the consent decrees, did a review. And we were hopeful there that there would be a modification to the consent decrees to at least allow a little more flexibility um, for the publishers, the idea being what we had asked for was for us to be able to remove the, the uh, digital rights from, that we have with ASCAP and BMI and to be able to negotiate those separately directly with the DSPs. The rest of what is in the consent decree could stay. Yeah. Um, so we thought we had a friendly uh, DOJ that looked um, uh, that in previous decisions during the administration had sunsetted other consent decrees. And the ultimate result of that was they did not. 
So we're still living under antiquated consent decrees and, and, that and, are 70 and, years old. As, as you mentioned, you know, it, it, the, they benefit the Googles of the world, the Amazons of the world. Is it realistic to think that that's a battle that could ever be fought and won against behemoths like that who have unlimited deep pockets to lobby for what they want? You know, I think, I think the key, which is uh, two years ago, we passed the Music Modernization Act. And perhaps maybe on a prior podcast, you, you discussed it. And, yep. you know, you come to an agreement when both sides need something. And the MMA got passed with the support of big tech in charge of the DSPs because they got something out of it. They got a release of liability for infringement mm -hmm. and they got an easy way to license, a blanket license. They pay one, the MLC, they, they pay the MLC and now their uh, repertoire is covered. Good to go. Obviously on our side, we, we got a, a, a more favorable look when we go to these rate courts or to uh, what's called the CRB um, about what kind of evidence we can present to, to the judge that is going or the board that's going to make a decision on the rate. Before we couldn't introduce evidence what the labels are getting paid. Now we can, right? So these things should provide a method of increasing what the mechanical rate is. So the point of that is that the idea that when we ask for the removal of digital rights to negotiate it separately, we wanted to confine the scope where it wasn't a wholesale turn the industry upside down that would happen with removes and decrease altogether. So I think if there's a targeted way that you can find some common ground, then maybe there would be reception. If it is just all out warfare and each side is entrenched solely mm -hmm. and going to defend their, um, their model, and say their model is the right one instead of finding what's in the middle, then no, the publishing industry will gotcha. lose that battle almost every time because big tech and NAB, the National, Associates, uh, National Association of Broadcasters, they have tremendous amount of lobbying money. And ultimately that's, that's where the effect is. Now, Mark, if, if by some strange chance, those regulations were changed. So it was free market and you could negotiate. Is that actually realistic for, you know, the a DSP to now have to do ne individual negotiations with every publisher? Um, it's, it's not, right? So the idea is that a trade group or like in our case, the NMPA, um, you know, has the authority to negotiate a model license that would apply to all its members. So there are uh, gateways to not have to go to every single individual publisher in the same way with the record label side. You can do individual deals with the majors. You can do a deal with Merlin that represents a collective of smaller market share uh, record labels. It can work that, that same way. 
Um, the rest of anybody or any publishers that fall outside of those groups, I think, uh, you know, you have to find a way to bring them in, in into the fold. You know, it's a little bit like what the MLC is on the, on the uh, mechanical side, right? I mean, the DSPs are paying one license to the MLC, and then the MLC figures out how that money gets gets paid out. So it doesn't have to be overly complicated or laborious to do individual deals. Yeah, one of the trends lately is an increase in streaming subscription prices. And I know Spotify is trying it, I think in a dozen markets. And if you think about it, it's been kind of 9.99 since streaming launched. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are on having a bigger pool of money uh, just by increasing the price of a streaming subscription, if you think that could help. Well, it certainly would help because, as I said earlier, the publishers are sharing in the subscription revenue. So any way that we can grow the subscriber base for a DSP, it's a good thing. It's a good thing for everybody. Um, you know, Apple Music has been a little more friendly to the publishing industry. And it initially started when they launched where the trial period, which for other DSPs, they did not pay the songwriters mm -hmm. and the publishers. Apple Music did. And they had a path to convert those trial users to subscribers. There yeah. wasn't a freemium, That's uh, right. you know, a, a advertising supported tier that didn't really incentivize a consumer to move to a, a subscriber tier. I know Spotify has done... Um, you know, whether it was exclusives or other promotional things to move people from a free tier to, to a paid tier, but there's still less incentive to uh, do so. So growing the, the subscriber pool is an important part of the overall. Uh, the subscriber you know. pool and the revenue, because the ARPU, the average revenue per user, is somewhere around $5 for Spotify. So when you have the family plans, that's great. But, you know, student plans, and then you have the ad-supported tier, you know, when it all shakes out, not every subscriber is paying that 10 bucks a month. Yeah. And if that could inch forward, I think that could really help us. And the other thing I'd really love to get your opinion on, something that's been in the news a lot lately is, these companies, you know, like Merck over at Hypnosis and BMG, and there's a whole bunch of these companies that are, it seems like there's this gold rush and they're buying up uh, publishing rights from people. What do you think about all of this right now? Well, you know, certainly in the last year, there's been a tremendous amount of catalog sales, uh, publishing catalogs. And, you know, you, you ask, well, okay, what is driving that in this moment, right? I mean, because these are catalogs that have either never changed hands or have not changed hands in a very long time. Generally, it's finance-driven. So currently, interest rates are at historic lows. So it's very inexpensive. Not very, it's, it's, all, it's all relative, but all relative, you know, yeah. money is cheap to borrow compared to 10, 15 years ago. And so if you're buying a catalog and in the catalog acquisition business, it is easy to find affordable financing to purchase those catalogs. So that's on the, on the buyer side. On the seller side, 
Um, you know, we have a new administration that uh, capital gains taxes, that tax rate is looking to go up in the next tax plan. And if there is a difference between paying 20% on your capital gains to sell your catalog, because these are assets. So it's, it's, it's taxed as a capital gain. It's not ordinary mm -hmm. income. But if in the new tax plan, that, that's now going to be taxed at 28%, or it's going to be, depending on the asset class, if it's songs and copyrights, if it's treated as ordinary income, it could be 40%, depending on your uh, bracket. And so there's an incentive currently to get, if you're even thinking about selling, now's the time to do it because you may actually be earning less down the road. And I think also for these catalogs, some of these catalogs that are changing hands are from iconic yeah. songwriters and artists. And I think they're thinking, and this is more um, kind of intangible, they're thinking about their estate and their, their legacy and what they're going to leave to their families. And if there's at a time to be able to provide that multi-generational income for their family, that's a motivating factor. Yeah, here. Bob Dylan, Stevie Nicks. Is, is, is what we're seeing here in these, you know, large catalogs being sold, which are, let's be honest, are basically, you know, the person going in and, and getting lucky and hitting straight sevens on a slot machine. It doesn't happen to everybody that they're going to be able to do this with their catalog. True. But in a sense, does this illustrate why it's important for a musician to hold on to their publishing and not accidentally or on purpose sign it away early in their career? You know, it's, I would say the answer is individual. And here's why, which is that you can say to a songwriter, never sell your publishing or never sell. Well, certainly I mean, my advice would be never sell all of your, your, your publishing. So if you want to get into a co-publishing deal where you're selling a partial uh, of each song of, of your copyright, you know, then at least you're still, you still have your skin in the game, but is it more important for, to build the value of the catalog to hold a hundred percent of something that may not have as much value or to hold 50% or 20% of something that has a greater amount of value because the company that you sold it to is increasing that, that value, right? And so, um, you know, I, it's hard to say what the right answer is. If you are an established songwriter that has um, a growing catalog, you know, there's a case to be made don't sell your publishing, own, own those copyrights, get into a deal with a publisher that's only going to administer to manage your copyrights, to grow that value, but you're going to own the assets. You know, in, in, in uh, music schools, the analogy was always the apartment building, right? It's an income producing asset for a landlord. So the landlord can hire a, a management company 
And that management company may do a great job getting a lot of rent. In this case, songs can increase and in, there's cash flow there. And that's a good thing. But then when you decide, if you decide to sell, you own that asset. You that's own the apartment building that yeah. then yeah, that that's can a sell. really good analogy. I, I, can you speak a little bit to like, you've been doing this a while. What are some things that publishing can do for the songwriter? Um, one of the things you talked about was sync. You know, for those who don't really understand sync, you know, it's not just film, TV, it could be games. It can be a lot of different things. Speak about ways that publishing companies can add value yeah, absolutely. So publishing companies, um, even before you monetize a song, there is a creative relationship because a publishing company, and I'll just speak to Angry Mob, you know, we're on the front lines monetizing these songs, whether it's placing the songs with recording artists, with, with whether it's placing them in television, film, advertisements. You know, so we know what the market is out there. And so when our songwriters are in sessions and we get those initial you know, we're at the birth of those songs and there's an opportunity there to help guide them. It doesn't mean we tell them, don't use inspiration, don't feel inspired. It means, you know, this is what the market currently is seeking in, in, in the music. So if you want to make sure that you're steering towards, you're steering your ship towards that light, then this is the, where you need to go. And so when they're in those sessions, they, they have an understanding about the market. And so there's an education process there. So that development is happening along the way as a creator. Now, once those songs are birthed into the world, to stick with the same analogy, then a publisher has the relationships with the record label ARs, with artist uh, management, with television and film music supervisors, with um, the, with the gaming and advertising creative directors to be able to get those songs into the position to be able to be selected for those opportunities. And as an individual unpublished or independent songwriter and artist, you don't have, you may not have those sorts of relationships and you may not have as many of them or, you know, at a certain level. And so then our job is to get the music selected and used. And then once it is, it's also to make sure you're collecting every dollar, penny, and these days, micro penny, because you know, as consumers, as, as a fan of music, it's a wonderful era. There's music everywhere. You have access to it everywhere. And so our job as a publisher is to cast this wide net to make sure that you as an individual songwriter is, are earning from all of those because that's the only way to make a meaningful career and to have a baseline of income to provide uh, you know, for yourself or for your family. And you know, it's challenging. It's a, it's a hustle now because of all the opportunities. You know, in uh, 20 years ago, it was radio, television, physical sales. You Much know, you, you, you tended to those and every, everything else kind of worked itself out. And yeah. now it's, 
you know, between the DSPs and uh, YouTube user generated content, which is a whole nother challenge. Mm -hmm. It's TikTok. there's a lot. Right. And so our job is to you talked about uh, mailbox income earlier. Our job is to handle all of that business side of things, because for a songwriter did not get into music to do that. It was to write songs, to collaborate, to create, if they're an artist also, to engage with their fans. So our job is to free them to be able to do that. Because otherwise, you're going to spend 90% of the time on the business and 10% on, the, on, the, on why they got into it. Yeah. Now, but before we wrap, how realistic is it for the brand new young artist self-released, self-produced CD, no real fan base. How realistic, realistic is it for them to sign a deal with a publisher? You know, it's, what's interesting now is that there are paths for the, the independent artists to become visible, for their music to be heard, right? And so, you know, they're able to maybe use an aggregator, let's say not to promote anything, but like a CD baby or a distro kid to be able to get their music into the world. Mm -hmm. And when they do so, they're able to actually get an understanding who their fans are, where their fans are, um, what the demographic is, you know, it's analytics now is, is the thing. And because of that, when they, promote themselves or pitch themselves to a publisher or even obviously certainly to a, a, a record label, but as a publisher, you know, we have some data to go on now. So if you're truly independent and emerging, it's not all crystal ball. There's a little bit of understanding, okay, well, where's the audience here? And then we go into our crystal ball, analyzing and discussing, well, what is the potential here? Where's the talent? Is it raw? Does it need to be refined in terms of song craft and lyric structure? Can we provide guidance there and, and, and growth? And it's a very personal relationship between a songwriter and a publisher. Um, so to answer your question about how, you know, what's the, what's the likelihood? It's the same likelihood as it always has been but you're able to reach the publishers directly. Well, before you probably had to go through an entertainment attorney, um, some other uh, way that you weren't an unsolicited submission, right? There's a music discovery now as a fan, that's, there's a music discovery aspect to uh, publishers. We are looking at playlists and finding um, kind of those needles in the haystack that, that have sure. been overlooked. Sure. So, Mark, where can people find out more about you and Angry Mob and can they reach out? Um, where can people find more info? Absolutely. Uh, our website is a great resource, angrymobmusic.com. Pretty straightforward. <laughs> Nothing to spell out there. Um, you can reach me there. I'm also, as you said in the intro, the vice president of the AIMP, which is the Association of the Independent Music Publishers, the LA chapter. So mm -hmm. certainly we have great webinars and we have a music publishing summit that, that we're doing in June. And so there's visibility there. You can contact me through that site as well. Um, you know, my goal always is to be, you know, 
open, right? So we never had an idea with our company that we were this um, kind of behind the, the velvet rope sort of company. We want to be accessible and not just to the writers we work with, but to all, because we truly believe that a rising tide lifts all boats. And so if we can form relationships and educate and inform, and it's not always the right fit for Angry Mob, but we want to have that conversation and, and support each other. That's what we do as creators. Fantastic. It's been such a great discussion, Mark. I mean, this is so valuable information uh, for artists and managers and the music business at large. We'd love to have you back on uh, to, uh, to talk again. And I hope someday you write a book. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly appreciate the sentiment, Jay. Michael, yeah, great, thank you as well. Thank stuff, you so man. much, Mark. Take care. Discmakers.com. Use code FREEBIZ for ground shipping on CD orders of 100 units or more, $150 value. Uh, Jay, uh, the way Mark explained it, mm -hmm. explained publishing and everything related to publishing was so spot on and so simple to understand. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, as, as you started this episode with, this is the area of the business so many people don't understand, are afraid to understand, um, or are, are immensely confused by. Yeah. Um, Mark really, complex. really simplified it and covered, yes. the, covered the, the high level points. I mean, yeah. in, in 45 minutes, you sure, we sure cow. dive deep into anything, but- um, That's right. This was a great, introduction to publishing for anybody yeah he yes you you hit it right on the head it's a complex subject that he simplified but not overly simplified he touched on all the key points man this this is a a key uh area for all songwriters musicians artists managers a lot of great information in there. Yeah, you know, we, we've always preached on this show, education, education, education. It's your friend. And, you know, in the past, it's always been about educating yourself, especially when it comes to how come I'm not making money off of Spotify? Well, look at the contract you signed with your record label because exactly. they're getting paid from. That's educate. Well, this is a whole nother side of that education. So important that. You know, okay, if you're a songwriter, before you start crying about how much, how little you're making from the DSPs, educate yourself to why that situation is happening. It's not just a DSP that wants all your money. Yeah. As, as, as Mark pointed out, there's some very antiquated regulations yeah. that are prohibiting things. Yeah, but they are evolving and changing. You know, yes. we touched on the MLC and the MMA, and that's those are topics that you and I talk about quite a bit. And there's a reason for that. It's important to your point that you educate yourself on all of these uh, changes. Things are evolving, and you need to know uh, how the money flows. So, really great conversation yep. with yep. Mark. So, um, yes, but please, if you got questions or comments, please leave them. We love reading your comments on on discussions like this. Um, before we wrap up, if you are um, watching us on YouTube, please hit that subscribe button, follow us on Spotify, 
subscribe on iTunes, check us out on Twitch. We're on Twitch. <laughs> hey, we've got somebody from Twitch in a few weeks, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's it's going to be, be good. It's, it's going to be good. And of course, just a, a one final shout out. Thank you to Hypebot and Bands in Town and Bandzoogle and Disc Makers for everything you do to support us weekend we in and week out. We greatly appreciate it. That's it. We'll see everybody next week.